Uh, it's always a privilege to be here at Calvary Bible Church. Uh, my name is Thomas Settles, and I serve as our pastor here at our church, and I'm very thankful uh, for the opportunity for us to worship together. Uh, over the past couple of weeks, we have been uh, focusing on a series uh, on the book of James. Uh, to me, the book of James has been an absolute blessing uh, to me personally because uh, there are so many practical principles that we can apply uh, to our daily lives. I really do believe uh, that the gospel uh, certainly does transform um, us from being uh, sinners to saints, but I do believe uh, that the gospel of Jesus Christ also transforms our life here on the earth. Um, I do believe as, as Christians, as believers, as people who have been bought by the, blood of, by the blood of Jesus, we should be transforming, we should be changing, and we should be growing in our faith. Um, it is not God's will for us to stay stagnant, and I hope and pray uh, that our sermon series has been a blessing to your life, but I hope it's also challenged you from a very practical perspective uh, to take greater steps of faith. Amen? Uh, this morning, we want to look uh, specifically at James chapter number 3. Read verses 1 through 12. James chapter number 3. Maybe somebody read James this week. They're feeling, feeling excited about it. <laughs> James chapter number 3, verse 1 declares, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers or sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all who stumble in many ways, uh, for, all, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect, and he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by the strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever, that, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, uh, staining the whole body, sitting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, uh, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed um, has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and our Father, and with, with, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessings and curses. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does our spring uh, pour forth from the same uh, opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, so just for a few moments this morning, I'm not going to hold you long. Uh, I want to preach uh, from the subject title, The Power of the Tongue. The Power of the Tongue. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the blessing and the privilege that you give us uh, to be able to open up your word. God, we confess that you are good. Confess that you are righteous, that you are holy. Uh, God, we thank you for all of the opportunities that we have to get into your word. Uh, God, I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. God, I pray that this would be um, a true experience where you are worshiped. God, a true experience where you are encouraged 
in a true experience, God, where we grow closer to you. God, I'm so thankful for the privilege that it is to be able to boldly proclaim your word. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to see exactly how the truth of this passage applies to our life. God, help us to not go through the motions. God, help us to not just get through the sermon. God, but specifically, we pray that you would help us to be more like Christ. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I prepared our sermon for this week, I was reminded by a man from our country uh, that is often referred to as the Unabomber. Uh, For for those who don't remember the Unabomber, uh, this man was a domestic terrorist, and he would send messages of death by way of the mail. Specifically, he would place bombs in the mail, and when people would open up the packages, they were literally blown to death. We all understand the impact of a bomb, and the majority of, of us here can testify that you've probably never uh, seen a bomb, let alone uh, mailed a bomb. But as we turn our attention to the text today, we need to specifically understand that there is power found in our tongues. Because if we're not careful, if we're not conscious, if we're not intentional, you and I could be found guilty of operating like verbal unabombers. My brothers and my sisters, when we think about the text today, when we think about the passage that we read today, we must remember that it's very easy for us to operate in such a way where we are hurting people with our words. Now, yes, physically, most of us can say that I haven't killed anyone, I haven't assaulted anyone, I have not uh, put my paws on anyone. Well, at the very same time, verbally, we can... Uh, we must confess that we often find ourselves assaulting people with our words. When we consider the power that's in our tongue, when we consider uh, the reality of our daily life, we must understand that it is far too common for believers, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for men and women who are redeemed, uh, for brothers and sisters who've been born again. I'm not talking about unsaved or unchurched or uncommitted or undiscipled people. I'm talking about church folks. It is very common for, for Christian folks to have an accepting uh, attitude, an accepting pattern where we are verbally tearing down people. I really do believe if we look very closely, if we were were to consider the transcripts or the conversations in our lives, uh, there are some husbands in the room today um, that would be guilty, myself included, of being a verbal unabomber. If we're not careful, we're able to uh, intentionally or unintentionally at times find ourselves tearing down our wives rather than building up our wives. We can identify their flaws. We can identify uh, the things that we don't think that they're doing right uh, rather than celebrating their strengths. Same thing is on the other side. I'm coming to you two ladies. <laughs> it's easy for, for the wives in the room to be guilty of being mean and disrespectful and less than honoring to their husbands by the things that we say. Parents, it's easy for us as parents to tear down our kids, 
to allow our kids to hear more fussing and cussing than praying and blessing. When you look at the text, it's also applicable for the church. When we we read the Bible cover to cover, yes, it is true that that sometimes we're going to come across some passages that might seem to be disconnected. But when we look at this passage, there is, a, there is such a clear connection between what is being said in James 3 with what has happened in 2018 that we should not ignore what the text is trying to communicate to us. My brothers and my sisters, I want to I challenge you that what James is telling us is that, that how you use your tongue will ultimately impact how God will use your life. I want to say it again. How you use your tongue will have a profound impact on how God is able to use your life. So when we look at the passage, it is, there are so many uh, present and powerful applications in the text. Um, to really appreciate it, though, let's consider what we've already learned from James. When we look at the, the, the entire book of James, we must remember that James has already explained two uh, characteristics of what it means to be a mature believer. In chapter number one, James has told us that mature Christians are patient in the midst of trials and trouble. In chapter number two, James has also told us that mature Christians are people who practice the truth. And now in chapter number three, James is highlighting another characteristic of what it means to be a mature believer, and that's someone who uses their tongue the right way. That's specifically why I love preaching through books, because it allows us to see how the entire book is connected together. It's not simply addressing uh, some isolated issue, but when you look at uh, the entire chapter from beginning, or the entire book from beginning to end, we see that James is, is powerfully and poignantly focusing on an issue that we all deal with daily. That's why in chapter number 1, verse 19, James simply says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Also in James 1.26, he says, uh, those who hear the word but do not do the word, those who uh, hear the word and are not able to bridle their tongue, the scripture says, not Thomas, the scripture says, those people are deceiving themselves. So as we study our passage this morning, we are reminded that the gift of speech is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. Uh, With your tongue, you can praise God, you can pray for people, you can proclaim God's word with your tongue, you can lead other people to Christ. With your tongue, you have so many blessings and so many privileges and so many opportunities, but with that same tongue, you have the opportunity to tear people down. And the question we got to ask ourselves this morning is, what category do I, do I fall, my, fall into? Do I fall into the category of one who is not able to control their tongue, or do I fall into the category of those who are, uh, do I fall into the category of being a person who is wise with their words? So when we look at our, our passage today, there are three very, um, very clear, or actually there are six uh, pictures of the tongue that James uses to give us an understanding of how we are to speak to one another today. Uh, James uses the idea of the bit, the rudder, the fire, um, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. You have six pictures, but these six pictures are, kind of can be boiled down into three very simple categories. The first category being the tongue has the ability to influence. The second category being the tongue has the ability to injure. And thirdly, the tongue has the ability to inspire. 
So first, let's look at how the tongue has the ability to, to influence. Verse number one says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, uh, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, for me, verse number one in chapter number three uh, stands out because I stand as one uh, who teaches God's word. Um, when I think about what James chapter three, verse one says, it is convicting because the calling to teach the word is a holy calling. Uh, it, it is a high calling, but it, uh, it is also a very dangerous calling. Uh, some, some have concluded that the opportunity to preach the word uh, is the chance to be uh, the star on Sunday. They've concluded that uh, preaching and teaching the word is the opportunity to perform for people or to save someone or to uh, have their own church where they can do what they want to do. But when we look at the text, we see that with the calling to preach and teach also comes a tremendous responsibility. And with any responsibility, there must be significant accountability. When we're putting ourselves, uh, those of us who, who are called in the teaching ministry of Christ need to understand that what we say in the pulpit, but also what we say out of the pulpit, uh, has the ability to bless people or it has the ability to be a burden to people. When we think about it, the teacher, the one who was called to preach, the one who was called to teach, the one who was called uh, to help uh, expose the truth of God's word, must understand how significant the opportunity really is. I want to confess something this morning to you, and I want to be honest. As a pastor, uh, I have a, a holy fear of what I'm doing right now. Every time I preach, uh, there's an uneasiness in my heart and my mind because I understand the responsibility that's been given to me. It's not a Sunday that I come here where I'm like, you know, I got my sermon done, I'm good, right? I, I often struggle with, I hope I'm communicating clearly. I hope that I'm not being a stumbling block to people. I hope that there's nothing in my life uh, that causes damage to people. And when we think about it, we got to understand that God has called us to do something significant Anytime we preach the word or teach the word, whether it's uh, in the pulpit or in the pew at your home or, or on campus, God has called you to do something that's very, very significant. I used, I used the, the word fear intentionally because it is a fear. My, my fear is not people leaving the church or uh, finding a different place to worship. Uh, my fear is being a stumbling block in the life of another person. My fear is discouraging per, uh, people in their walk with Jesus. Uh, some, some people may say, well, well, preacher, well, does not the scriptures tell us that we should not have uh, the spirit of fear? Does not uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 not clearly uh, tell us that as Christians you should not have fear? And I want to tell you, yes, uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 does uh, say that we, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but that is talking about something different than what I'm talking about today. In the text we got to understand that when we read James 3, there should be a holy fear, not trepidation or panic or anxiousness. When we speak about holy fear, we're talking about the kind of fear that is, that is a reverential response to God and his goodness. When I think about the Lord... When I think about the holiness of God, when I think about the majesty of the Lord, it is overwhelming that the Lord would ask me to stand to speak for him. 
So anytime we have an opportunity to teach and preach, we must understand that this is a significant opportunity. And that goes for those who preach and teach in pulpits, but that goes for even when you preach and teach your kids at home. That's not just for teachers of the word in terms of pastors. That is for every single follower of Christ. So in verse 3 he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses uh, so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by the strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs us. Uh, By using the ideas of the bit and the rudder, rudder, James is presenting two things that are very small but have great power, just like our tongue. A small bit enables uh, a rider to control the horse. A small rudder enables the pilot to steer the huge ship. The tongue may be a small member of the body, but it has great power to accomplish great things. When we think about the bit and the rudder, the bit and the rudder must both uh, overcome contrary forces. The bit must overcome the wild nature of the horse, and the rudder must fight the winds against the ship. Uh, The same thing is true with us. We must fight against the wind and the waves of our old nature. Yes, God has saved us from the penalty of sin, but we are still in the presence of sin. And because we are still in the presence of sin, we have to battle sin daily. This means that the idea of the bit and the rudder is applicable to us because we got to ask ourselves, who's at the controls? Like, who's controlling the bit? Who's controlling the rudder? Like, I, I get in trouble when I, when I want to control the bit and when I want to control the rudder. But as a Christian, I've got to understand that when I surrender my life to Jesus, that means I'm allowing Jesus to control the bit or the rudder. I, I think that all of us can... can, can can agree that the moments where we we lose control of the tongue uh, happens when we are not allowing God to guide us and lead us. I, I, I don't know if that I don't know if there's a time in my life where <clears throat> where God was leading and guiding, where my where my tongue was under was not under control. It, it's a reminder that the that the Christian life is not just a life of partial surrender, but the Christian life is should be a life of total surrender. It's a life not where we are surrendering to God based upon our own terms, but it is a life where we are surrendering to God based upon his terms. We think about what the scripture says about us as Christians. We are now referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The, The scriptures are telling us that God has made a profound decision to take residency inside of your life. And here's the thing about God's residency. God does not come to just be a guest in the house, but God comes to take control of the entire house. And that includes God taking control of my tongue. When we think about this issue of influence, the issue of influence reminds us that all of us are influencing others. All of us, daily, all of us, not just the preachers in the room, not just the parents in the room, every single one of us has an opportunity to influence others by the things we say. Reminded of when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. When he spoke to the woman at the well, lives were changed. When Peter spoke at Pentecost, 3,000 people were changed. So, so when we think about what we say, what we say also has a profound impact. But here's another thing. What we omit also has a profound impact on our lives. 
As I was studying, I was thinking about the, the story of the Good Samaritan and how there was a man who, who, was, who was pillaged, he was broken, he was beaten, he was deaf on the side of the road. And the Levi, or the, and the, and the, and the, the, the priest and the Levite went to the other side. They didn't say the wrong thing, but they certainly did not say the right thing. A lot of times as Christians, we can be guilty of being absent and not being engaged in our culture. We can, be, we can be guilty of saying certain sins being wrong while also forgetting to speak about the full counsel of what God has had to say. So when we think about the scriptures, yes, we are, we are called to use our tongue for influence. But secondly, if we're not careful, the tongue has the ability to injure. Verse 5 says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. But the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Um, true story, on October 8th, 1871, at 8.30 p.m., a very small fire started in the barn that was owned by the O'Leary's in Chicago. The small fire that started wasn't just contained in the barn, but the blaze grew, and actually uh, the fire that came from that lasted for a couple of days. Uh, during, during the time that the fire was uh, most hot, um, it, was, it was to the place where um, people began to lose their lives. When people began to ask the question about how did this, this huge inferno start, uh, one of the O'Leary's confessed that uh, a cow in the barn had kicked over a lantern, and a lantern had sparked the fire. The fire that I'm addressing is the Great Chicago Fire. It is the fire that took over um, 17,000 buildings. It is the fire that left over 100,000 people homeless. It is the fire that killed over 300 people. It is a fire that cost, at the time, over $400 million in damage. I remind ourselves of that small little fire because that's usually how our words uh, have an impact on others. When we, when we injure people with our words... It usually starts with just a a small statement or a small phrase or a small story that defames the character and the goodness of other people. It doesn't start with with us uh, outright lying or outright um, being disobedient or disrespectful. It is usually a very small thing that ends up being destructive in our lives. I I love Psalm 39 verse 1. It says, I will set, and I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. Verse 3 says, My heart became hot within me, and I mused uh, the fire burned. And then I spoke with my tongue. When you think about those two ideas, it really is a reminder of how a lot of us struggle with the words we say. I mean, who in here can say that you just got fire hot mad when you just want to say something to somebody? You were just overwhelmed with anger when you wanted to communicate what was really on your heart. 
I love uh, the passage because it really does remind us that we must take very, um, very careful steps to make sure that we are not using our words to injure people. Proverbs 14, 29 actually says as well, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is hasty, uh, who has a hasty temper, um, exalts folly. Fire not only starts small and grows, but it also increases in heat. When fires begin, they, they always get bigger. They always get larger. And one of the things that we pray for as our church is that we uh, maintain the unity of the body of Christ. I mean, it's, it breaks my heart sometimes when we have our new members class and we, we have people come to the church and tell us of hurts from church, how they've been hurt by people in the church. They've been hurt by pastors in the church. And, and, and it absolutely breaks my heart when I hear people uh, use the word church hurt. But I want to say this as well. While church hurt is real, our true healing is found in the church. Christ didn't just die for the cosmos. Christ died for the church. Christ died for sinful, stubborn, broken people. And yes, while these people have a tendency to sin, they have a tendency to hurt one another, if we reject the body, then we also reject the healing that God has for us. It's amazing to me when we look at the life of Christ, how how words were used against him, but he did not allow the words of others to hold him hostage. When you look at Jesus' life, he tells us very clearly uh, that they will say things about us. They will uh, speak evil against us. They will uh, defame our character, but that's okay because if they hated you, well, Jesus says, if they hated you, take heart because they hated you, hated me before they hated you. When you look at the text, it is a, it is a reminder of the opportunity to injure rather than the opportunity to inspire. So first we have uh, that, the, that, that the tongue has the ability uh, to influence, the tongue has the ability to injure, but thirdly, the tongue has the ability to inspire. Verse 9 says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and curses. My brothers, these things, let me say it this way, my brothers or my sisters, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? And can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and grapevines produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, in the text, it is painting this picture of what it means to be inspired and what it means to be refreshed. Um, I, I don't know about you, but there's something about um, a, a cold beverage after um, some, some hard work. Something that is, it, it brings refreshing, it brings encouragement, and it blesses our life. M my hope and prayer as a church is that when you come here after a long week, uh, after having to, had to deal with issues at home, after having had to not go off and not flip a table over at work, I hope that when you come here, I hope and pray that it's, it's refreshing, right? I hope and pray that when you walk through the doors, you see brothers and sisters who are willing to encourage you. Hope and pray that you see brothers and sisters who are willing to speak life over you. 
Hope and pray that you are, that you are so exposed to the body and so exposed, exposed to fellowship that we see that we have a tremendous opportunity to invest in one another. Like one of the things that we did when we, uh, when we designed the churches, we, we created the big fellowship hall because we wanted to create opportunities for people to come and to just to be together, uh, just to talk, just to fellowship, just to encourage one another because here's the truth. You and I are in desperate need of spiritual words of encouragement, not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. That's why we do Wednesday night. That's why we do small groups. That's why we encourage you to get together because we want to inspire other brothers and sisters to do what is to do exactly what God has called us to do. I, I had another illustration, but I'm gonna I want to brag on Thea today. So Kathea is a member of our church. She's to my left. She's on the third row. <laughs> and uh, I was I was in, in my study this morning. And Tori uh, came in early with her mom, and uh, she told me about uh, how this past week she took our board exams, and uh, we prayed for her on Wednesday night, and I said, hey, sister, how did it go? And it was just amazing to me how she just testified about how many people in our church were intentional to encourage her uh, this week. Text of encouragement. She said that Thea brought her lunch, that Thea was willing to walk alongside her. And that is what the scriptures are, are, are inviting us into. The scriptures are inviting us into a life where we are able to encourage and we are able to invest in other people. Like so many people in our community are hurting because they're trying to do life by themselves. And I get it. If you didn't get no encouragement this week, don't feel bad, right? Let me be like, why is she getting it? I didn't get it. That's not the point. (laughs) Here's the point. The point is, hopefully you leave here thinking, like, how can I be Thea to somebody else this week? Like, how can I practically invest in someone else so that other people can be blessed? I'll close with this thought, and I'm going to enter into a time of communion. Chris, you can come on back up. When we think about the scriptures... And when we think about the idea of our, our tongue being needed to be tamed, I cannot really think of an a, a avenue or a venue where it is appropriate to stick out your tongue other than when you're at the doctor. Uh, seriously. When I'm, so as a, as a chaplain, I often uh, have an opportunity to uh, go to surgeries, and it's amazing to me that every surgery I go to, uh, when the anesthesiologist um, sees the patient, they're going to ask them to stick out their tongue. They're going to ask them to open their mouth up wide, and they look at the tongue, and based upon how their tongue moves, the, the anesthesiologist uh, can, can make a determination whether or not they are prepared for surgery. You may think that, you know what, T said, I get it, like, hey, man, maybe I curse a little bit. Maybe I, you know, have some foul talk sometimes. Maybe I gossip a little bit. Hey, that's not a really bad problem, right? I'm not killing anybody, right? I haven't, you know, stole any money. I'm not hindering anybody. I'm not being racist. But here's the truth. When we think about the tongue, how you use it is a great indicator of your spiritual health. You, you may not want to agree with that. But the truth of the matter is how you choose to speak blessings or to speak curses, 
how you choose to speak life or speak death is a determining factor of your spiritual health. And if you have an issue with your tongue, here's the, here's the greater point. If you have an issue with your tongue, it's really a reflection of a greater issue in your heart. Right? When you, can't, when you have issues with your tongue, it's because something deeper is going on in your heart. 